It's Monday, and that's the start of the dessert series for the week. At least that's something to look forward to for Monday. I hope it hasn't been that bad. Anyways, you know, YouTube gumph, blah blah, subscribe, blah blah, yaggedy schmack. You know, the usual stuff. Onwards to the story. When Death Wilders Meet, Part 6. Life-harboring wolves were graded on a scale for habitability to sentient life. A Class 1 world was a perfect garden world. Class 2 worlds might have chilly weather. His own world was considered rather stir, good for developing a tough and hardy people. It was a Class 5. Class 6 worlds were tough places that few visited. Some of the fiercest warrior peoples came from them. They got worse as the numbers went up. There was only one race participating in the galactic community from a Class 8 world, and most people avoided them at all costs. From there, they became even harsher and more hazardous to sentient life, all the way up to Class 10 worlds, which were considered uninhabitable. Death worlds. Sentients did not, could not come from a death world. Of course, just because something had never happened before didn't mean that it could never happen. He just wished that it hadn't have happened on his ship. The habitation scale for temperature planets was pretty linear from 1 to 10. It was supposed to end there. But at some point, scientists noticed that there were worlds which went to such great lengths to exterminate all life that they far surpassed even Class 10. Learned minds developed an extended scale, and each step in that scale was exponentially more deadly than the previous one. Class 11 worlds, like Nyx, home of the Night Beasts, were almost a joke. A 1 to 10 scale turned up to 11. As for Class 12, well, he hadn't heard of such a thing until this very moment, when it had suddenly stopped being funny. Is, um, something wrong? the creature asked. Gave a talking tablet. His mind pleaded with his body, willing his tongue to move as his lips to part. No, 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 not at all, the captain said, clasping his hands together in an effort to get them to stop shaking. He had an idea, half-formed and conceived in terror, but an idea nonetheless. Carefully, he turned his data pad back on. He had to type much slower. His fingers kept missing the correct spots, even on the second and third tries. He typed with two, then three digits tightly pressed together to lessen the shaking. This time, his message was to Ginter, the ship's vet. Have you completed the drug yet? A few moments later came a long reply. No, we've been testing the different things on blood and tissue samples, but nothing seems to work. And even if it did, we probably wouldn't be able to manufacture enough of it aboard for it to matter. What about the night beast tranquilizer? He typed. Might work. The two are similar. High metabolic rate. Blood-based and iron-carrying oxygen. Other things. Or it might do nothing. She was damn right that they were similar. But if it didn't work, how many doses do we have left? Only two. If the human is compliant, it only makes sense to save them in case we need them for her. He let out a slow breath of air, closed his eyes, and concentrated. She was right, of course. This thing, less than a meter from him, was compliant for the moment. Pointing a weapon like a dark gun at it would almost certainly trigger it to kill. Unlike a night beast, 
There was no possible way a creature as smart and as advanced as this would not know what a gun was. And this ship was too small to allow it to be shot from a relative safety of great distance. In these confines, he had no doubt that the thing could kill or disarm, literally, an attacker faster than anyone aboard could even pull the trigger. And all that was assuming that the night beast sedative would even work. He could also forget locking it in its cabin. For one, it could probably beat down the thin door without much trouble. For another, that would only postpone the problem. It would eventually find out that it was taken by a slave ship. If night beasts were any indication, Deathworlders could not just accept that fact, regardless of the circumstances or conditions. When it would find out, well, he would maybe hope that it would be after finding a buyer and making a sale. But Antipton couldn't be certain. Until then, it would be like having an unexploded warhead rolling around in storage. Or worse, a primitive Class 11 would just kill everyone aboard, steal his ship, and escape home. An advanced Class 12. Not even Antipton's family was safe. Seven hells, the thing would probably take his ship, infiltrate his homeworld, find a way to blow it up, and then escape home. Antipton had to deal with this now. So the drugs were a complete waste. Honestly, had the veterinarian been watching vids of this entire time, couldn't she appreciate how potentially dangerous this thing was? He needed another idea, something that he could actually use. He might be able to think of a way to fool it, to take advantage of its current willingness to cooperate in order to eliminate it as a threat. That meant a battle of wits with a being whose race had intelligence as it is only natural weapon had intelligence, which allowed them to evolve on, survive on, thrive on, and probably, like most sentients, dominate on its own world. And that home world was a death world. They were all going to die, painfully. I agree with your assessment, thank you, he typed to Ginter, wondering if it would be his last message. Better to go out with some sense of satisfaction. Before tomorrow, I need you to clean out the waste chutes and all the slave quarters... Yes, all of them. Despite his almost complete inability to think of anything beyond getting the hells out of there, one more idea passed its way through his forebrain only because he had already been toying with the notion earlier. He just had to calm himself and maintain enough control to carry it out. It wasn't going to be pretty, but it was probably the only thing Antipton could do to keep himself, his ship, and most of his merchandise in one piece. If the night beast somehow died, it was only a financial loss. He would be in debt to his investor, maybe sold into slavery if he had to default, but he'd be alive. He might even be able to buy his way out of it eventually. On the other hand, if the human died, he would build a shrine to the five lords of heaven, regardless of the outcome. He saw no other choice. I want to give you a tour of the ship, he smoothly told the creature. How does that sound? Yeah, sure the thing said. The captain swallowed his sigh of relief. Together they walked from deck to deck and room to room, the captain explaining briefly what each part of the ship was used for. He had to make most of it up as he wasn't too clear on what his crew did, what they did, or why or how they did it. For their part, the crew were thankfully silent as the odd pair walked about, knowing better than to ask questions. Either that, or they were too put off by the rumors of the human that were doubtlessly already spreading. Though he showed the crew quarters, the captain made sure to avoid the standing slave cells amidship. 
that would have raised too many questions. As for the special slave cell, well, they were going to go visit that one now. I noticed there are dozens of different species represented here, said the cheerful human as they walked. I talked to your executive officer about it earlier. It's wonderful, you know. A whole galactic community up here, just waiting for humanity to join. The creature seemed so earnest to enter Tun, but at the same time, he couldn't help but feel like it was onto his ruse and was implying a veiled threat. He could imagine it smiling as it happily slaughtered its way through every living thing aboard, all the while saying how much it wanted to meet his whole community. Oh yes, there are more than a few races aboard, the captain agreed. We cannot wait for a people as nice as you to join us either. In fact, as a representative of your people, I think it is extremely important that you meet all of the races of the galactic community. I can't do much about the ones we don't have aboard here. How many are there? Other races in the galaxy? The captain's pace staggered. Was it normal for this creature's people to interrupt, or was it trying to throw him off? Well, uh, I don't know for sure, he replied. What about on this ship? Twenty-six different races, I believe, he replied, though the numbers change so frequently. In truth, he had no idea, but the thing had said he'd seen dozens aboard, so... The human nodded, and they continued on their way. As I was saying... It'll be important when you return to your kind to have fully interacted with as many different races of people as possible. There is someone special I would like you to meet. How is your night vision? The captain asked, opening the door to a darkened room at the base of the large ramp. Captain Antikton held his breath. The thing's next answer would doom or save him. Not good, he said. Why? He thanked every god, lord, and demon he could think of. Because we're going to go say hello, he said, gesturing for the human to enter the pitch black cargo hold. As the human entered, Antiktun remained a pace behind him. It's dark in here because she's nocturnal. She won't mind being woken up to meet you, though. No, not at all. Let me find a light switch. One second, where is it? Maybe over here? The cargo bay door slammed shut in front of him with a reverberating thud, trapping the human on the other side with the night beast. End of chapter. What ho? It is uh, the evening cruise dessert is what ho? And yes, nom nom to all of you. If you want more nom noms, hit the like button. But more importantly, on to today's episode. When Death Wilders Meet, Part 7. Arinus woke with a start. The takers were back. She was sure of it before she even opened her eyes. Back to inflict more misery. After they took her, the first time they came to her cell, they brought her a prisoner rations. The hand-sized portion she supposed was meant to last a full night. They gave her a thin, pasty, foul-smelling gruel made from naught but roots and leaves. It barely filled her stomach for a time, and a little else. She could probably digest a tenth of it. Perhaps. They'd stop feeding her after that night, instead coming only to talk, then scream at her. They offered more gruel for cooperation. When she had refused to respond, they tormented her with water as freezing as a stream from the high country, and more forceful than the western Paratana River. By the third day, she was weak and delirious with hunger. She would have killed them had she a chance, to be sure. Not only would their behavior have warranted death, were they her own kind, 
but these were the monsters of her childhood. Everyone in her land had been taught about the Takers since the time that they were children. Never travel, pray, or hunt alone, they said. They would find you and steal you away. Never be hopeful again. If you're lucky, they said, they will kill you before they take you, and only your body will be lost. If they took you to the sky, your immortal soul would be doomed to wander from star to star, searching for home. Only one person had ever gotten away from them, and Arinus was no Martianess, Captain General Ilmanok. She remembered seeing her orations as a young girl and hearing all the stories. She remembered rolling her eyes, not just thinking, but knowing that they were fables and tales of fancy meant to keep children from getting lost or hurt. But the Almighty, how wrong she was! One thing she did not expect, however, was that she would have to eat her childhood monsters just to survive. That was unexpected. The worst part was how they upset her stomach, honestly, and tasted of six different kinds of foulness. Still, suffering from indigestion and ill humors had to be better than starving to death or going blind from lack of meat. It wasn't an ideal situation. The things were tall but terribly skinny, and most had thick layers of fur or feathers. That meant that there wasn't much food to be had. Perhaps enough good meat on each for three steak pie suppers, and uh, from the gristle maybe another two blocks of head cheese or a dozen rings of black pudding. That was the best case scenario. But quite a bit of the leftovers had started to turn. She, of course, had to dine without the benefit of proper butcher's preparation. Part of her wondered if that made her a cannibal, but the rest of her didn't give a damn. She was mad with hunger when she accidentally killed the first one, hungrier than when she ate it, and knew that she would be hungry again when she killed its friends. Were they people just because they could talk? She doubted it. They didn't look like people. They looked like scared cattle or seafood that could talk. Would she have eaten a talking fish if she was hungry enough? Apparently so. On the sixth day, like every day before, someone came to yell and blast her with frozen water until her flesh was raw and torn. She realized something important in that moment. The water had pounded Aranus while she huddled in the formless mass of rotwood, pressed to the ground over the corpses of her enemies, holding their bones, skin, and offal tight to her chest to stop the sustaining remnants from washing away. She knew that she had become an animal. A fearsome, unintelligent beast concerned with nothing but survival. That knowledge brought her a kind of peace. They thought of her as an animal, gauged her like an animal, so she would stop fighting it and become an animal. She cursed them all the way to the Demon King himself and, for her trouble, screamed herself hoarse in the process. She knew better than to say anything that could remotely be useful to them. Nothing could help her now, least of all dignifying them with any real response. She had trained as a home guardswoman since her twelfth year, been a sapper since her fifteenth, and a longbowman since her eighteenth. She had studied for countless fortnights to earn those positions, and those vellum texts had etched themselves onto her mind. The first rule of being captured by the enemy was to give them nothing, and tell them nothing, because... They would use everything against you. 
And now, now, they had woken her up to torture her yet again. After two whole nights and days of peace, she had begun to faintly hope that they had had their fill of inflicting suffering. In the intervening nights, she had barely enough time to dry the redness of her wounds with the torn remnants of her chemise. It had been too much to hope for. Holding herself, she had begun to shake in place, clenching her teeth and squeezing her eyes shut to hold back the tears. Baroness would not let them see her suffer. She slowly opened her eyes, listening to their noises. She again accepted her fate. The witch firewall between her cage and the surrounding room would let in things like water and sounds and probably arrows. But none of the same could she send outwards, nor could she be heard. I think there's been a mistake here. She could hear someone say. His voice, his real voice, not the one the imp they put into her ear used, sounded different from the others. It reminded her of barking, higher pitched than theirs, but still sounded deep to her, like a man's. She had never seen it before, but the new visitor looked almost like a proper gentleman, though his legs were too straight and his face a bit odd. He looked much more normal than the other monsters, and much more approachable, more personable. If he was indeed a monster at all, and not something else entirely. Whatever it was, it was with the takers, and she would kill it. She had no room for mercy in her heart, for any of the takers, all their serfs, servants, kith, or kin. If the opportunity presented itself, it would die like the others and sustain her for another week, at least. On the off chance that the witch fire yielded so the creature could approach, she began scraping around the floor. She would find a bone to throw from amongst her rotting friends that served her only food and companionship. She first found a fragment of a skull from the one she had named Firemlay. The brain scooped out days ago. They had been too fatty, but with a pleasant measure of saltiness. She threw it aside. Her whole skull might have been better, but his, uh, like the others, had been crushed when she pulled them through the bars. Reaching down again, she found his jaw. More beak, more something. Whatever it was, though spindly, it was large and had quite a bit more heft than the other remaining pieces. It would more than suffice to dispatch one of these feeble takers. She approached the bars slowly, as if she was stalking game, which, in a sense, she was. The strange visitor was distracted, knocking on the door to the outer room, asking to... Uh, in an instant, the witch's fire hummed died, and she threw. Her sudden reaction surprised even herself. She hardly expected the witchfire to actually depart, nor even realized that she'd been preparing to throw. Oh well, it is what it was. Any second thoughts on the matter were pointless. By Firenless, Jawbreak, goodbye, new visitor. One of the Empress's best archers, Aranus, aim had to be true. The new visitor did, and ow! Who bombed me? Aranus let out a squeak, jumping back three whole paces and upwards at least two. She landed with a bang, followed by an awkward scrambling of claws on metal as she righted herself. That wasn't supposed to happen. It definitely wasn't dead, and she'd only made it cross. It had moved so quick she hadn't even seen the thing turn to face her, nor take up what was unmistakably a fighting stance. Unlike with every other being on the ship, some of whom were twice her height, 
she suddenly became aware of how much larger than her she was. Suddenly, Arandus really wanted to apologize. Hello, um, who's there? The man demanded. He took a step back and began scanning the dark room. That fecking hurt, right in the head too. I think I'm bleeding, dammit. It stomped its foot onto the floor in frustration, so loud that she jumped. She could feel the vibrations moving through the ground and into her. Human, the wall spoke. She recognized that voice. It was the warden, the evil creature, that vile thing that she wanted dead more than life itself. What had it done to her? She suppressed a shiver, just thinking about it. Amen to you, Death Builder. The voice continued from the raised indentation in the wall. We know what your people are, what they are capable of, and now you've met your match. Human from lost sanity, meet the night beast from Nyx. You may now kill each other. End of chapter. Oh, looky, a new day, a new dessert for the night crew. But only enough to satiate that sweet tooth. Not too much, not too little, just enough to tickle it. Anyways, time for the story. Human from Lost Sanity, meet the Night Beast from Nyx. You may now kill each other. No, no, no. She wasn't some Night Beast, not at all. Just a woman, a farm girl really, with a meaningless title. An unimportant woman, hardly worth mentioning, actually. Aranus silently cursed the warden as the creature, this man named Huben, blindly searched for her. She tried to secrete herself into the corner of the cage with as little sound as possible. It didn't work. She could see the man's eyes tracking her, honing in on her hiding spot. Like the others, she doubted it could not see without the sun, but that seemed to make little to no difference. She'd made almost no sound, but we could hear her moving, maybe even breathing. She felt sure of it. The damn thing came from a place called Lost Sanity, too. With a name like that, the place could have been some fantastic underworld from the epic poem where beings didn't need sight to see. For the first time in weeks, her rage had fully given way to fear. She heard her cage opening, the clockwork engines deep within cycling, at any point the time that she had arrived in this cursed dungeon until now, she would have prayed for her cell to be open. Now, she fervently prayed for it to remain shut. What the hell is a night beast? The human asked, his eyes slightly shifting to the whining hinge. She gulped. It wasn't her. No, definitely not her. No way. She began to wonder if one of her skeleton friends could maybe cover for her. Rudigatha, Ophenble, Terengard... Anyone. None volunteered. Traitors, the lot of them. Yeah, doom, shouted the warden. Doom, doom, doom. If they fought and she actually ended up killing this man, it would be an absolute miracle. Against one of her fellow dames, strikes to the head like the one she just delivered would have laid them all low to a woman, if even for just a moment. That huge man hadn't even lost his footing. She was hardly his doom. A better descriptor might be more difficult than average sparring dummy. She is a carnivorous killing machine with razor-sharp teeth, massive claws, and a taste for intelligent meat. We'll see who survives. 
All technically true, but really. What the feck? screamed the human, banging on the door with lightning fast punches. From across the room, she could feel each impact in her bones. She didn't want to be anywhere near this creature. You want me to fight some animal? What is this, some kind of gladiator blood sport? Why would you do that? What? I'm a simple man, a small, defenseless herbivore. You're just going to feed me to it. Why? I have no chance. It was bargaining. Or it knew she was listening and hoping to lull her into complacency. Either way, she was highly skeptical. Ha! <laughs> it's not any bigger than you, said the warden. You might stand a chance. Jesus Christ, mountain lions aren't any bigger than me either, the human yelled back. When I get out of here, I'll feckin' kill you, slaver scum. And now, she wanted to be his friend. That might have been easier said than done. Sure, she could just march right up to the gentleman, introduce herself, explain herself and her terrible mistake, and hope for the best. It might work. The second rule of being taken prisoner was to find allies and unite with your fellow prisoners around a common goals of resistance and escape. They certainly had a common enemy, and the gentleman was surely intelligent enough to see that. On the other hand, this man could be extremely dangerous, and might not even be in his right mind, if the name of his homeland meant anything. Not only that, but she could clearly see and smell that she'd drawn first blood. Though she would seek his forgiveness, he need not offer it, and without it, he was entitled to strike her down. And at that moment, he seemed rather angry. Aranus pushed all of fear and doubt aside. Only cooperation would lead to salvation. She took a deep breath and drew herself up to a full height and slowly strode towards the human. They were not going to fight for the sadist's amusement. They were going to clear this up like a lady and a gentleman that they were. She would first work up the courage to introduce herself to the human and together the pair would find a way out of this mess. For the first time since being taken, she began to feel a glimmer of hope. If you get out of here, you can come find me, human, said the warden from the wall. I think the beast talking towards you right now will have something else to say about that. In a flash, it turned from the warden's voice and looked her right in the eyes. She froze. Crap! It had been playing blind! Not if I kill it first, you son of a bark! Wait, stop! My, my name is Aranus of the Karamast, daughter of... The world went white around her and she fell to her knees. She couldn't breathe. She had to vomit, but couldn't gag. Her limbs flew to her throat as she gasped for air, frantically trying to roll away from the human as the looming man stalked towards her. She hadn't even seen what had happened. He'd moved so fast. It hit her in hard in the throat, either with a punch or using a hand like a knife to jab or slash. It hadn't been as effective as a claw kick might have been but it struck faster and would be no less deadly if it happened a second time. Regaining her parents, she began scooching backwards away from the man. With one hand, she searched for bones and pulled herself along. With the other, she massaged her almost useless throat. With her legs, she used one to push herself away, holding the other aloft but ready to kick out at the human's torso. Please, she croaked, rubbing her throat, imploring the lunatic man, Stop! It danced around, clearly wary of a clawed foot. 
She struck out, barely tearing its silk tunic as it dodged. She had been taught never to hit a gentleman, but she would definitely make an exception in this case. It pushed towards her from the side, and she moved back in equal measure. It hurt to breathe, and she was fast running out of room to maneuver. She kicked again, and it dodged just as quickly. My name... Aranus, she wheezed again, her words sounding strangled. She had to explain that she was a person. Damn it, not a beast. Daughter of Lady Jurisalka. This time, the man lunged with an arm. She kicked at it and missed. She barely spotted the man's other arm as it tried to catch her foot. She rolled in place, bringing that extended foot to the ground while her other foot spun up to take its place tearing deeply into the man's forearm. It barked in rage. She scooted back another two spaces. I'm Commander, she croaked. What madness had come over this thing? Did it just like killing things in her Imperial Majesty's order? She had slid away right into the corner. The man had planned it that way, and she had played right into it. She was just another cornered animal fighting for her life. Another lunge, another kick in response. She was ready for when he tried to catch her foot again, and kicked up with the other leg. This time, she missed. The human caught her by his second foot, his other hand quickly grabbing her leg by the hook and seizing it firmly in place. In an instant, he rolled to the ground, keeping his body on the side of her immobile leg, stopping her from kicking out with either. He fell atop her, releasing her leg as he landed. He rolled her a chest first into the ground while she alternated between elbowing his ribs and stomach and using her fists to hammer at his thighs. Setting all decency aside in desperation, she tried to grab and tear at his manhood, but he kept his hips firmly pressed against her, leaving no room to strike. She tried another tactic, pushed herself off the ground. That only made things worse. Using the gap between her body and the floor, the man wrapped one arm around her entire body just beneath her bosom, locking her arms at her sides and crushing her torso into his. She began throwing her head backwards, fighting with every scrap of energy and whatever tools she had left at her disposal. She felt gratified when the back of her head made contact with the man's odd nose, feeling it crushed as it made a soft, clacking noise. It was odd. She'd always enjoyed hand-to-hand combat. Were she not facing a certain and swift death, she might have admitted to finding the sensations of the heart-breathing gentleman holding her tightly, pressing his body into hers from behind to be mildly concupiscent. She normally preferred her gentleman to not be so forward, however, and not quite this big. Mark! Mark! Woof! Mark! Mark! Woof! It said. The imp! The imp was gone! It had stopped translating his words, so it must not be translating hers either. That's why they couldn't understand each. The man's second arm joined the first, this time sliding up into her neck. The first hand then moved from below her bosom to her forehead, preventing her chin from guarding her throat. With a roll, he was beneath her now, with both of them facing the ceiling. His legs snaked around hers, holding them down. She pressed him tight against her throat, with his bleeding forearm and thick bicep, almost like a piece of wrought iron trying to remove her head. Her sight began flashing white again, this time starting at the edges. She could barely breathe as it was, but this was something else. 
and excruciating pressure built inside her skull. She was going to die in mere moments. Her soul would wander from star to star. She wanted to make peace with the Almighty in the last seconds, but she could only think of fighting. Fighting against this man-beast named Human. Pointless. Sure, she was caught by surprise, but she honestly thought that she would have stood a better chance. Instead, she was little more than a stupid slashing dummy. Not even a proper sparring partner for him. Sparring? Sparring? She immediately stopped all fighting and went limp, slapped his arm on her throat three times. Her vision was fully white now and she could not see. She could barely feel any of her body beyond the arm on her throat. Would it understand? This was just a translation problem, right? This man had to be intelligent, not a killer, or a monster, or a lunatic. Had to be. In her final fading moments, she slapped his arm slowly, firmly, deliberately, three more times. After the third time, something happened. She could barely tell that the pressure on her neck was gone and her body had been shifted gently to the floor. Something soft had been placed under her head. The gentleman was no longer pressed against her. Though blurred, her vision began to return. She stared at the ceiling and blinked tears from her eyes. Human was crouching above her. Bark! 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 Oof! Okay! It said. My name is Lady Aranus Karamast, she barely managed to whisper. Daughter of Lady Jerusalka, Dame Commander in Her Imperial Majesty's Order of the Sacred God, and I am not an animal. Aranus's head fell to the side as she lost consciousness. End of story. The meal has been consumed and dessert shall be served to you. I hope you enjoy the numbs. When Death Wilders Meet, Part 9 She could see the stars, the blinding lights only visible on a cloudless night. She traveled to one and held it in her hand. A beautiful, crystalline, incandescent light. It shifted and twisted like the candle's flame in all directions at once. She watched it twinkle for a moment before releasing it. She flew to another and held it, too, examining it. It felt larger and softer, but like the other, she did not recognize it. Releasing it, the search for one that could show her spirit the way home. None of them looked the same, not from here. She could identify no constellations at all. Not the two suns, not the huntress, not the insect and the pauper. The land looked different from the mountaintop when one only ever stood in a valley. So it was when one looked at the stars while amongst them. She found one that felt similar. One that just might be able to help lead a soul home to rest. Reaching out to touch it. Hey, hey, Aranus, don't you fall asleep on me. What? She squeaked when she saw the man leaning above her and tried to scooch away only to be reminded that she was still backed into a corner. She needn't have worried, it seemed. The large man looked concerned, apologetic even. His crumpled little nose and blood-stained lips made him seem even more sincere. Son of the Almighty, Aramis, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to kill me. If it's any consolation, I probably would have just choked you out. She rubbed her head and moaned. You did choke me out. Uh, 
Yeah, again, sorry about that. It's all right, she whispered with a half-hearted smile. She had offered him her hand, only to see him flinch. I won't hurt you again. You know my name, Toby. What should I call a young gentleman such as yourself? Lieutenant Colonel Stephen McLaren, he said softly, placing his hand in hers. I'm not that young. She thought that she had known at least part of his name from when the vile warden had spoken, but apparently she was wrong. It seemed he wasn't called human after all. Of course, she wasn't called Night Beast either. She gently brought his hand to her lips and licked the back. She may have held on to it just a moment longer than courtesy allowed. Um, okay, uh, thank you, Stephen said, withdrawing his hand. Nice to meet you. I am honored and delighted to make your acquaintance, my gentleman, said Aranus, pushing herself into a seated position against the wall. Okay, so, um, you're not going to kill me, and I'm not going to kill you, right? Stephen asked. Aranus felt genuinely offended. I would never harm a gentleman, she said, literally turning her nose up at the notion. Well, um, my head and nose seem to disagree, said Stephen. The imp never gave inflection in its voice, but she could tell from his expression that the tone of Stephen's box that he was making sports of her. She risked a playful slap on his tummy. It felt oddly firm for a man. He didn't seem to mind either. And there's this. Huh. Deeper than I thought. No wonder I'm still lightheaded. Stephen held up his right arm in front of her. Blood dripped from his elbow, freely landing warm and wet all over her thighs. She had cut him deeply, no doubt about it. Without thinking, she grabbed his arm tightly to close the slash wound and tore the remnants of a wool chemise from her chest. It was little more than a broad necklace at that point anyway. Stephen didn't pull away as she bounded. That's, um... He opened and closed his hands a few times, seeming satisfied. Pretty good. He turned to her and smiled. His mouth opened as if to say something, but silently gaped instead. She watched his eyes roam over her form from her top to her bottom. I didn't notice when we were fighting, but, um, you're naked, he said. Very naked. She glanced down, knowing her eyes couldn't tell her anything that she didn't already know. Slowly, almost defiantly, she moved her hand to cover her groin. All this time, she hadn't thought about it, but she'd been completely undressed. When they took her, she had awoken with almost all of her clothing gone. A small fortune in leathers and furs. Gone were her jerkin, trousers, and fur coat. She had been left with nothing but her undergarment. After a time, even that had been turned into bandages or simply washed to pieces. The last of which she had just given to this man without a second thought. She was as naked as any of the monsters here. She hadn't really been bothered about her duty until this very moment. Somehow, the presence of this odd man reminded her that the world hadn't been turned on its head, that civilization still reigned on the Almighty's earth. And she had at no point abrogated her need to comport herself in a proper and dignified manner. On the other hand, she was a tortured prisoner, lucky to be alive and in no position to be concerned with covering her shame when a mere survival should be her biggest concern. Shame on him! for pointing out something so trivial. 
I have nothing to be ashamed of, she replied indignantly. What's the matter? Have you never seen a woman before? I, um, well, uh, sorry, um, I just mean that, uh, hold on. He unclasped his tunic's long tooth faster that ran from the top of his neck to the midsection and stepped out of it. It looked to be clean, save for a bloody section on the right arm, and made a remarkably fine construction. Underneath, he wore a set of soft-looking long underwear. My gentleman, you needn't disrobe to your undergarments on my behalf, she hissed, reaching out to stop him. She was in far too feeble of a condition to do much more than stall him. Had she been in perfect health, things might have been different. He shoved his tunic into her bosom. It smelled thickly of sweet blood, yes, but also sweat and musk. It was not an entirely unpleasant, but made her uncomfortably hungry. Here, take it, Stephen said. He shrugged, or don't, but then you'll just distract me. The corners of her mouth began to creep up. She couldn't tell if he was joking or serious. Either way, it made her smile just a bit. She grimaced as she began pulling the garment on, agony racking her entire body with each movement. He took note of the trouble that she was having and began to help her. To add to the indignity of losing in single combat to a man, and doing so wearing little more than what the Almighty gave her on the day that she was born, she was having to rely on him to dress her, using one of her own claws to cut open the hems at the legs of his garment to better fit her larger feet. Sliding it on past her buttocks, he helped her arms inside, fastened it up, and patted the side softly. All set, he said. It could have been worse, she supposed. Pretending he was her personal servant made it a little easier, which she noted, as she felt the fine fabric decorated with sigils and coats of arms was definitely not the case. This gentleman was nobody's servant. Have you a title? she asked him, admiring one of his sigils. I thought I heard mention of one. Um, like yours, uh, Dame Commander. Yes, from the inflection when you made the introductions, I gather that you are Stephen of House McLaren. I thought Lieutenant Colonel might be a title. The short answer is uh, no, my lady, um, but how about we talk about that later? He said quietly. She followed his eyes as he looked from the speaking indentation in the wall and back to her. I have plenty of questions about this place, and I'm sure you may have some questions for me. Perhaps once we get out of here... She gave a curt nod. Of course, the warden was listening. Here, the expression was to be taken literally. The walls actually did have ears. Can you see in here? She asked. None of the others, the, the monsters can. You looked blind when you first got in here, and now you can see the hole where the warden speaks. Well, I can't see too well at all, he said. But when I got here, I couldn't see a thing. My eyes needed time to adjust. He leaned close, his body hovering just over hers. We are getting out of here, he whispered into her ear. How? She breathed into his much smaller one. We wait. We'll figure the rest out, he said. But I wouldn't worry. A soft sound came from the far wall, like metal on metal. Both her and Stephen turned to the noise. A small hatch, which she knew from experience to be an embrasure, had opened across the room. With all her remaining but not insignificant strength, she lunged for Stephen, grabbing him to about the midsection and pulling him to the ground next to her. 
In one swift motion, she climbed on top of him, lying flat, and did her best to cover as much of him as possible. Don't move, she hissed in his ear. Moments passed as not a single sound escaping between them from anywhere else. Why? he whispered back. She felt his hands move to her sides as if to move her off of him, but they remained in place. Confused, she shifted her gaze from side to side, then slowly turned her head to look up and behind them. The hatch had closed. Sorry, I thought they were going to loose arrows at us, she replied softly. She didn't immediately register that she should probably remove herself from the gentleman. She thought it as much as his own fault. He should have said something, but didn't, for whatever reason. When she did roll off of him, she felt a subtle but distinct loss. After so long with not a single kind interaction or touch from another living soul, it had actually felt nice. Stephen, whom she hadn't thought of as anything but her own countryman since she awoke, had just reminded her of what she'd been doing without. Not only that, but just having him with her in this confinement as someone of a similar mind and goals, someone to work with, gave her hope. Though a man, he even made her feel safe and secure. Don't do that again, he whispered. Chagrin and more than a little hurt, she was about to apologize and explain herself when he continued. You need to save your strength, he whispered. You're still hurt from our fight, and I can probably take an arrow better than you anyway. Aranus's present condition had little to do with a match with Stephen, from which the pain, breathing issues, and dizziness had largely remitted, had everything to do with her virtually depleted and generally unsatisfactory food supply. She was not recovering her spent energy nearly as fast as she should have been, on top of the fact that she had been terribly weak to begin with. As for who should protect whom, he was still a man and his arm could attest to the fact that his skin could rebuff arrows no better than hers. She was about to contest both his absurd notions when she noticed something that hadn't been there a moment before. There's something on the step of the embrasure, she whispered into his ear, nodding into the direction. The what? he replied softly. The arrow slit, the hatch, she clarified. He followed her gaze, a questioning finger pointing towards the small concave fixture. She nodded. Standing, he appeared nonchalant as he approached the object, palmed it, and returned to her side, keeping her close between their chests. They examined it together. Roughly, along as a breadth of a hand, and the object appeared to be a cylindrical container of some sort. Trying and opening and pressed on the lid, she extracted the contents, an unnaturally smooth piece of vellum as long as the container and rolled neatly to fit inside. At Verdigat, she could see a set of simple illustrations like a child's hasty drawings. I don't get it, Stephen said. These are stick figures, two people. I can tell one is you and the other is me. What are these things? Arrows, the kind they use here, Aranus replied. She pointed to the third drawing where both their figures were stuck like game, odd tubular arrows jutting out their backs. When they hit you, they put you to a deep sleep. Except, she examined the fourth drawing where the figures were on the ground and the arrows sticking out of them. Then a fifth where the arrows had been removed, but the figures were still on the ground. The sixth had twelve hash marks, time, she supposed. And in the seventh, the final illustration, the figures remained unmoved still. Except this time, they mean to kill us, she finished. End of 
chapter. There seems to be a little confusion going on. I record these at least 24 hours beforehand if I can. And as soon as I'm finished making the video, I upload it and give early access to tier 3 members, both patrons and channel members. But fear not, every episode will be freely available to everyone, given time. So, you all will get the nom-noms. Anyways, on to the story. When Death Will This Meet, Part 10 Aranus tossed the venom aside in disgust. Not that it mattered, but she wondered whether the message had been sent as a warning or a threat. We have to get out of here, she said, not even bothering to whisper. Or hide somewhere. Yeah, definitely, agreed Stephen, looking through the cage. She had been afraid he'd get that idea. Well, it was most certainly true that she wasn't quite ready to introduce Stephen to a skeleton French just yet, for fear that he might take the wrong way. She had other, more silent concerns. For one, while the bars might afford some small measure of protection, forcing their assailants to more carefully aim their shots, it was far from perfect. As much as she had moved around in there, they had always found a way to hit her before. But that alone did not give her pause. Some protection, even just to temporarily confound the enemy, beat nothing any night of the week. No, she wasn't going back into that tiny cage for one simple reason. She couldn't bring herself to go back in there. Not after she'd spent an almighty knew how long alone inside that ossery. With no time, nor thoughts, nor company. Hoping only for death to claim her and end the torment. Just thinking about it made her shake. I don't think it'll work, she said. We have to find something else. We'll find something else after we get some cover in there, he said, stepping inside the cage to examine it. She heard a cascade of crunching noises. That had to be Twinagard. Stephen's foot had gone right to each chest, smooshing some choice organs she'd been saving. What the shit, Aridus? He heard the man yell. Is this a god? It's like a slaughterhouse in here. She mentally shrugged. She doubted his feet were very clean, but she would be dead long before she worked up the courage to eat more of Twine's foul-tasting, rotting entrails anyway. Don't be mad at me, she said, indignant. You're the one who wasn't looking where he was going and ruined my supper. What a bullshit gentleman you are. Can't even see where your meat comes from. No. Oh, God, no. His voice barely above a whisper his hand moving to cover his mouth and nose. He rolled Twine's head to the side, examining the skull cavity. One of his eyes fell out, though she had chewed most of his face away. She'd gone to great trouble to leave him in there, so he seemed more interested in what she had to say. I think, um, I think these were intelligent people. They made you eat them? Of course not, she said. I could have starved or played their little games, got some gruel, and as my reward, got to take a little longer to starve to death. Those lunatics, killing their own slaves just to feed you. S slaves? She cocked her head to the side, confused. You mentioned something about that before. Maybe, but I don't think so. One of them was perfectly content to torture me all on his own accord. He seemed like he was rather enjoying himself, actually. The other two were his friends. I think they were in the employ of the warden. Well, that makes it even worse, Stephen said. I wonder why anyone would work for a captain if he's that kind of guy too. He paused, looking down at the remnants of the three monsters, then back to her. 
She grinned wide, flashing her pearly white teeth at him. She felt quite proud of her perfect smile. The corners of Stephen's mouth curled up in response. Ah, I see. The captain didn't kill these people, he said in a flat tone. Of course he didn't. Why would he do that? I did, she said. They're monsters. They took me and tortured me. They deserved no less. Right, he said, nodding his head. And you ate them. Monsum, she asked, sarcasm and humor laid on thick. I could prepare some wonderful sausage for you out of that one's intestines. That one's innards and the third one's back fat. Season them with some slime mold and it's supper foot for a queen. He appeared to be the opposite of amused. She sighed, seeing his revulsion had been genuine. I did it because I had to, my gentleman, not because I wanted to, she explained carefully. It's true that I don't entirely see this as cannibalism, which I know you're thinking because thought crossed my mind too. The truth is, for whatever reason, I just can't seem to think of them as people, no matter what they say or how intelligent they seem. I cannot place myself as them, think as they would think, or feel ill for their illness. Do you understand? Hmm, yes, I understand. What about me? he asked. It hurts me deeply that I hurt you without cause, she said, rubbing her chest. I feel for you more than I would my own kin, and while I'm sure you would be absolutely delicious to eat, you're very clearly a person, so that would be cannibalism. Still, best to be on guard around me, she finished, playfully snapping her jaws at him. He walked to her and crouched down in front of her. Without warning, he gently tapped her on the nose. Just you try it, he said with what must have been a smirk. He leaned over, scooping her into his arms. Embarrassed, she tried to help herself to her feet without him, but she was already standing with his assistance. No man from her people could have lifted her like that. Of course, no man she'd ever seen was as large as him either. What are you doing? she asked. They had nowhere to go except... First, we get you to your feet, he said. Then we walk into the cage for some... No, 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 she said, pushing away from him. I don't care how big you are. You're not going to get me in there. Not now. Not ever. He tried to urge her ever so gently into the cell. Come on, Aranus. We have to... No! She yelled into his face, her teeth narrowly missing everything from the furry patch above his left eye to the bottom of his chin. Shocked by why she'd almost done, she looked away. I'm sorry. It, that isn't me. I... I just can't go in there. If that means I die standing here, then please just let that happen. Not a problem. I think I understand, said Stephen. And I'm sorry for trying to make you do something you didn't want to do. What if we climbed on top of the cage instead? The bars beneath us should still offer some protection. I... Uh, I could try that, she offered hopefully. But if we start and I don't want to anymore... Then we stop and find some other way to protect ourselves, he finished for her. She nodded with a smile. Help me over there, she said. She leaned heavily on the tall man, still uneasy on her feet. You're heavy. What do you eat, lad? Just kidding. I know what you eat, he joked with a smile, wrapping one arm around her waist and pulling her other over his opposite shoulder. His hand had tickled where he held her above her hip causing her stomach to tense. He took notice. That's why you must spend a lot of time in the weight room. Have you thought about switching to cardio? She was about to ask what that was, 
followed by asking what the next step was in the escape, when a loud cracking and whining noise startled her. Had it come from the voice indentation in the wall, that time had just run out. It was bound to happen sooner or later. She cursed the warden for the thousandth time. The seven hells that the translators reactivate. Well, find out how before I send you to ask them, the warden's voice screamed, seemingly to neither she nor Stephen, but somebody entirely unseen. Perhaps that person was in the adjacent room with the warden from whence he spoke. Night Beast, you will slash the human until he bleeds out immediately, or I will personally administer your bath time every single day, all day, until your skin is flayed from your bones. Wide-eyed, she felt the human shift beside her. I will not hurt this gentleman again, she yelled, unsteadily splaying her claws and rising her pads to full height, almost a head taller than Stephen. And I swear upon my honor as her imperial majesty's dame commander that I will personally carter your body and remove your head in that order with my bare feet. It was the first thing that she had said to any of the takers, but she had let that particular secret go when she had introduced herself to Stephen. So be it, said the warden. Two embrasures opened up on opposite sides of the room followed immediately by a pair of loud pops. Stephen heard the sounds and knew instantly that the dark guns were poisoned arrows which Aranus had warned him of. At hearing the sound, he gave no thought to immediately pushing his companion away from him. She must have had the same idea, because when his hand met her shoulders, her hands met his chest. They didn't so much shove each other away as explode apart. Adrenaline was a hell of a drunk. It was far too late for either of them, he knew. He could feel his start jabbing into his back where he landed on top of it, painfully forcing it deeper beneath the skin. He could see her sticking out of his side, just at the level of what would be a kidney on a human. Against all odds, he saw her getting to her feet, staggering towards him. He marveled at her persistence and strength of will, pulling himself to a seated position to yank the barbed dart from his back. A few milliliters of viscous blue liquid remained inside, but the rest had clearly been injected into his body. He wondered how much time he had. He wondered how much time Aranus had. She staggered to the dazed halt in front of him. Like a puppet with all her strings cut, she fell on top of him, pressing him to the deck. End of chapter.